Section 37 of Revelations of a Wife. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Mary Rohde. Revelations of a Wife by Adele Garrison. Chapter 37. A Change in Lillian Underwood. Well, children, have you made any plans for Dickie's birthday yet? I nearly fell off my chair in astonishment at the friendliness in my mother-in-law's tones. She had been sulky ever since we had come home from our autumn outing in the Catskills, a sulkiness caused by her resentment of what she chose to consider the indiscreet interest taken in me by Robert Gordon, the mysterious millionaire whom I had discovered to be an old friend of my parents. I shrewdly suspected, however, that her continued resentment was more because Dicky chose to take my part in the matter against her than because of any real feeling toward Mr. Gordon. Nearly a year's experience, however, had taught me how best to manage my mother-in-law. When she indulged herself in one of her frequent tantrums, I adopted a carefully courteous, scrupulously formal attitude toward her, and dismissed her from my mind. Thus I saved myself much worry and irritation, and deprived her of the pleasure of a quarrel, something which I knew she would be glad to bring on sometimes for the sheer pleasure of combat. Her question was so sudden, her cordiality so surprising, that I could frame no answer. Instead, I looked helplessly at Dicky. To tell the truth, I rather distrusted this sudden amiability. From past experiences, I knew that when Mother Graham made a sudden change from sulkiness to cheerfulness, she had some scheme under way. Dicky's answer was prompt. "'That's entirely up to Madge, Mother,' he said, and smiled at me. Although his mother tried hard, she could not keep the acerbity out of her tones as she turned to me. She always resented any deference of Dicky to my opinion. "'Well, as Richard has no opinion of his own, what are your plans, Margaret?' "'Why, I have made none so far,' I stammered, wishing with all my heart that I had made some definite plan for Dicky's birthday." I could see from my mother-in-law's manner that she had some cherished scheme in mind, and my prophetic soul told me that it would be something which I would not particularly like. Good, she returned. Then I shall not be interfering with any plan of yours. I have already written to Elizabeth asking them to come out here for a week's visit. This is an awful shack, of course, but it is the country, and the children will enjoy the woods and brooks and fields, even if it is cold. Dicky turned to her abruptly, his brow stormy, his eyes flashing. Mother, do you mean to say that you have already written to Elizabeth without first consulting Madge as to whether it would be convenient? I trod heavily on his toes under the table in the vain hope that I would be able to stop him from saying the words which I knew would inflame his mother's temper. Failing in that, I hastened to throw a sentence or two of my own into the breach in the desire to prevent further hostilities. "'Dickie, stop talking nonsense,' I said sharply. "'I am sure, Mother Graham,' turning to my mother-in-law, who sat regarding her son with the most traditional of stony stares, 
we shall be delighted to have your daughter and her family you must tell me how many there are so we can arrange for beds and plenty of bedding this is a rather draughty house you know i am better aware of that than you are she returned ungraciously making no response to my proffer of hospitality then she turned her attention to dicky richard she said sternly i have never been compelled to consult anybody yet before inviting guests to my home whether it be a permanent or a temporary one i am too old to begin i do not notice that you or margaret take the trouble to consult me before inviting your friends here dicky opened his mouth to reply but i effectually stopped him by a swift kick which i think found a mark for he jumped perceptibly and flashed me a wrathful look i knew that he was thinking of the strenuous objection his mother had made to our entertaining the underwoods and to the proposed visit of robert gordon to our home but i knew also that it was no time to rake up old scores i foresaw trouble enough in this proposed visit of my relatives-in-law whom i had never seen without having things complicated by a row between dicky and his mother there was trouble too in all the house-cleaning the rearrangement of our rooms and in the laying in of a stock of provisions to meet the requirements of the menu for each meal that mother graham insisted upon deciding in advance to please her daughter and the children and then the day they were to arrive she received a special delivery letter calmly announcing that they were not coming but my annoyance was forgotten in mother graham's very apparent and other disappointment when i broke the news to dicky he suggested that we have a party anyway and mother graham sweetly acquiesced in our plans to invite the underwoods lillian's voice over the telephone however made me forget all my contentment and filled me with misgiving it was tense totally unlike her usual bluff hearty tones and with an undercurrent in it that spelled tragedy what is the trouble lillian i asked as soon as i had heard her greeting i know something is the matter by your voice yes there is she replied but nothing of which i can speak over the phone tell me are you going to have any strangers there to-morrow how like lillian the bluff honest speech was almost any other woman would have hypocritically assured me that nothing was the matter but not lillian underwood nobody but the durkees i assured her they have already promised to be here but lillian you surely must get here as soon as you can i shall be so worried until i see you if you don't get here early to-morrow morning i shall come in after you you couldn't keep me away you blessed child if you are going to have no strangers there lillian returned i don't mind the durkees but i need you my dear very much now i must tell you something don't be shocked or surprised when you see me for i shall be somewhat changed in appearance run along to dicky now i'll be with you some time to-morrow forenoon good-bye I almost forgot to hang up the telephone receiver in my bewilderment. What trouble could have come to Lillian that she needed me? She was the last person in the world to need anyone, I thought. She, whose sterling good sense and unfailing good nature had helped me so many times. And what change in her appearance did she mean when she cautioned me against being shocked and surprised at seeing her? 
My anxiety concerning Lillian's state with me all through the evening. I awoke in the night from troubled dreams of her to equally troubled thoughts concerning her, and my concern was complicated by a message which Dicky received the next forenoon. We had barely finished breakfast when the telephone rang and Dicky answered. Hello, I heard him say. Yes, this is Graham. Oh, Mr. Gordon, how do you do? My heart skipped a beat. Why, that's awfully kind of you, Dicky was saying. But we couldn't possibly accept, because we have guests coming ourselves. We expect to have a regular old-fashioned country dinner here at home. But why do you not come out to us? Oh, no, you wouldn't disturb any plans at all. They've been thoroughly upset already. We had planned to have my sister and her family, six in all, spend this holiday with us. But yesterday we found they could not come. So we're inviting what friends we can find who are not otherwise engaged to help us eat up the turkey. You will be more than welcome if you will join us. All right, then. Do you know about trains? Yes, any taxi driver can tell you where we are. Goodbye. I did not dare to look at my mother-in-law as Dicky came toward us after answering Robert Gordon's telephone message. I think Dicky was a trifle afraid also of his mother's verdict, for his attitude was elaborately apologetic as he explained his invitation to me. Your friend Gordon has just gotten in from one of those mysterious voyages of his to parts unknown, he said. He was delayed in reaching the city, only got in last night, too late to telephone us. Seems he had some cherished scheme of having us his guests at a blowout. Wouldn't mind going if we hadn't asked these people here, for they say his little dinners are something to dream about. They're so unique. Of course, there was nothing else for me to do but to invite him out. I thought you wouldn't mind. In Dicky's tone there was a doubtful inflection which I read correctly. He knew of my interest in the elderly man of mystery who had known my parents so well, and I was sure that he thought I would be overjoyed because he had extended the invitation. I was glad that I could honestly disabuse his mind of this idea, for I had a curious little feeling that Dicky disliked more than he appeared to do the attentions paid to me by Mr. Gordon. It was less than an hour before the taxi bearing the first of our guests swung into the driveway, and Lillian and Harry Underwood stepped out. Lillian's head and face were so swathed in veils that I did not realize what the change in her appearance, of which she had warned me, was, until I was alone with her in my room, which I intended giving up to her and her husband while they stayed. Then, as she took off her hat and veils, I almost cried out in astonishment, for at my first unaccustomed glance, instead of the rouged and powdered face and dyed hair, which to me had been the only unpleasant things about Lillian Underwood, the face of an old woman looked at me, and the hair above it was gray. There were the remnants of great youthful beauty in Lillian's face. Nay, more, there were wonderful possibilities when the present crisis in her life, whatever it might be, should have passed. But the effect of the change in her was staggering. "'Awful, isn't it?' she said, coming up to me. "'No, don't lie to me,' as she saw a confused, merciful denial rise to my lips. 
There are mirrors everywhere, you know. There's one comfort. I can't possibly ever look any worse than I do now, and when my hair gets over the effect of its long years of dying, and my present emotional crisis becomes less tense, I probably shall not be such a fright. But, oh, my dear, how glad I am to be with you. I need you so much just now. She put her head on my shoulder as a homesick child might have done, and I felt her draw two or three long, shuddering breaths, the dry sobs which take the place of tears in the rare moments when Lillian Underwood gives way to emotion. I stroked her hair with tender, pitiful fingers, noticing as I did so what ravages her foolish treatment of her hair had made in dresses that must once have been beautiful. Originally of the blonde tint she had tried to preserve, her locks were now an ugly mixture of dull drab and gray. As I stood looking down at the head pillowed against my shoulder, I realized what this transformation in Lillian must mean to Harry Underwood. He it was who had always insisted that she follow the example of the gay bohemian crowd of which he was a leader, and disguise her fleeting youth with dye and rouge. It was to please him, or, as she once expressed it to me, to play the game fairly with Harry, that she outraged her own instincts, her sense of what was decent and becoming, and constantly made up her face into a mask like that of a woman of the half-world. No one could deny that it disguised her real age, but her best friends, including Dicky and myself, had always felt that the real mature beauty of the woman was being hidden. "'Of course, this is terribly rough on Harry,' Lillian said at last, raising her head from my shoulder, and speaking in as ordinary and unruffled a tone as if she had not just gone through what in any other woman would have been a hysterical burst of tears. It really isn't fair to him, and under any other conditions in the world I would not do it. He's pretty well cut up about it, so much so that he cannot always control his annoyance when he is speaking about it. But I know you will overlook any little outbreaks of his, won't you? He wanted to come down here with me. You know he's always anxious to see you, or I would have run away by myself. Her tone was anxious, wistful, and my heart ached for her. I could guess that when Harry Underwood could not control his annoyance, he could be very horrid indeed. But I winced at her casual remark that her husband was always anxious to see me. Harry Underwood, held in restraint by his very real admiration for his brilliant wife, had been annoying enough to me. I did not care to think what he might be when enraged at her, as I knew he must be now. Nothing of my feeling, however, must I betray to the friend who had come to me for help and comfort. I drew closer the arms that had not yet released her. "'Dear girl,' I said softly, "'don't worry any more about your husband or anything else. "'Just consider that you've come home to your sister. "'I'm going to keep you a while now I've got you, "'and will straighten everything out. "'Don't even bother to tell me anything about it "'until you are fully rested. "'I can see you've been under some great strain.' "'No one can ever realize how great,' 
she returned. You see, what revelation she meant to make to me I did not then learn, for just at that moment a knock sounded on the door, and in answer to my come in, Katie appeared and announced the arrival of the Durkees and Richard Gordon. End of chapter 37